everybody, what's up? It's the Subversive um, Man. Welcome back, us. <sighs> Hibernation is fantastic. Yeah. I've just been sitting at the table the whole time waiting. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm still sorry. not awake. I'm still not awake. It's 2020 and it's February, and the only thing we've released is the Mac release party, which was in December. December, December 19th. Yeah. But hopefully yeah. you en- enjoy that release, and mm-hmm. it's like. There's a YouTube video on there as well. Yeah. So you can check that out. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll have other videos in the future. Who knows? Yeah. Was I on video? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I know. Sorry, dude. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> Do you ever have innuendo mind where you just can't turn your mind off? I was in a meeting the other day yeah. and things were said that they didn't intend to be innuendos. And this, yeah. this, this dude just kept laughing the whole time. And I had to keep a straight <laughs> face the whole time because I just call it innuendo mind. Like yeah. sometimes like you just can't escape it. Like everything is an innuendo for something else, but sometimes you got to turn it off or you're going to just <laughs> shipwreck yeah. everything. Is there a limit to how long that Switch should be on because I think I've been in, in innuendo mind for uh-huh. the past six months. Oh, well, that doesn't surprise me. Okay. But no, I don't know. Maybe they're just like a time and place. Maybe not. That time is all the time. All the time. <laughs> oh, okay. So, uh, episode. Uh, are we counting the the, the release magazine party? release party? Uh, that was yeah, 14. Yeah, we should take a second to sort that out. <laughs> yeah, we got to sort that out. That was 14. So let's just say this episode 15. But we'll start with what took us so long. Uh, one thing that... One reason why we lagged in starting up again is because... Fun fact, I got uh, mono over Christmas. <laughs> and if any of you ever had... I never had mono. If any of you ever had mono... Um, it's just a physical beast. It puts you in a hibernation state mm-hmm. of like, you lose all motivation. You don't feel anything. Like I didn't feel fear, anxiety, happiness, anything. <laughs> I just laid. What a gift. <laughs> I know. I know. But then I got actually got scared of that. <laughs> yeah. Like mentally, I didn't phys- physically feel scared. I thought yeah. something's wrong with me. So I waited three weeks to go to the doctor and then they did blood work. And they're like, you, you have mono, you're recovering. And I'm like, whoa, how did that happen? Yeah. That's a fun conversation with your spouse, especially when they don't have mono. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could imagine. <laughs> I feared for my life. I didn't know if we shared microphones or. <laughs> yeah. Or. or <laughs> yeah. Why'd you put a her there? I don't know. <laughs> I think a lot of people were checking. See I'm inviting others to have innuendo mind. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and then Kyle got the flu. Yeah. Bad. Like six days of it. And yeah. I was like, felt like another week of just zero energy. Yeah. So I lost all motivation. Yeah. And when you lose all motivation, at least for me as a nine, I, it's really hard to regain motivation. As a yeah. nine, and you're referring to Enneagram, I yeah. feel like we need to do some Enneagram series on this, for sure. on the subversive. For sure. We probably should do that soon. Yeah. Yes. I'm down. Um, do you feel like you're back? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. When I hit like the end of the like second week, I had a moment where I was like, I want to go to the gym. And I was like, yeah, I have enough energy to like want to go nice. to the gym. If I didn't go, if I'd actually gone, I think I'd only made it like 10 minutes because <laughs> I was still wiped out, but it felt good to like, oh, my energy has increased again. Yeah. That was nice. Yeah. I'm not back. Yeah. That sucks. But we're here. Yeah. Jacob, you haven't been sick. What's your excuse? 
Um, we thought for sure you'd just record some of these on I, your own. <laughs> <laughs> Episode 14.1. <laughs> Jacob talks about clouds. I, you only get one tenth of I, an episode. I, started, I started my own cloud podcast. How did you know? I uh, just, you know. They're like, only five minute episodes and it's just you hear me breathing as I watch clouds. <laughs> And, For those that don't and, know, and then you know a, now, he clearly loves There's a guessing clouds. game at the end of each podcast episode of what type of cloud I was Cumulonimbus. looking at. <laughs> uh, no, I, you know, I've kind of got like two jobs, but also kind of three. So I've just been busy and just physically exhausted, my own doing. Yeah. So I love how you said kind of almost three. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. the, the third one is more inconsistent the other two are oh, okay okay i get it i love the vagueness yeah the i third know one. i know it's it might be a job some consider it a job some don't yeah uh, sometimes i get paid sometimes i don't yeah <laughs> sometimes i call in there's those I innuendos <laughs> <laughs> okay episode 15 ish <laughs> heaven is a four-letter word okay <laughs> it's really not <laughs> jacob just counted it's six it's a six-letter word but this is the episode, Heaven is a Four-Letter Word, subtitled, Why Are We Here? Subtitled, What Really Happens in the End? We're going to cover all that in like 30 plus minutes. Wow. <laughs> Good on you. <laughs> yeah, or we're not. We're going to get started and talk about a couple of ideas. And I, I was just talking to a friend at church and he goes, what are you going to subvert today? <laughs> And I said, heaven. He's like, oh. <laughs> so, um, yeah. I, you know, when I think about what is often presented in religious circles, uh, I think in larger uh, monotheistic religions, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, I think... Christianity and Islam, when you talk about heaven, it is a place that you're going to when you die. You know, if you, if you do the right things, say the right things, believe the right things, if you're in the in crowd, whatever that means for different people, then it is a place that you go to. And I think we sing, you know, let's talk for Christ Christianity. People sing about that. Um, they think that way. They plan that way. They live as if that was true organize their life and finances and schedules around it. Um, and I, I just wonder if that's what, how the story really goes. And if it doesn't go that way, could this idea that we're going somewhere else and a few small select people get to do it and escape from something, could that idea be oppressive? To people right now trying to live life um, with if Jesus is aiming at restoring hum, human beings to fully functioning humanity could the idea of escaping a part of humanity which is your tie to the earth could that be oppressive and so when I thought when I think about this I think about you know if you've recently watched a movie whatever uh, movie about some type of escape someone's held hostage you know, some powerful kingdom is oppressing another kingdom. Um, but it's primarily about a rescue mission, mm -hmm. right? What is the, what do you tend to focus on if you're, if it's that person or if it's that kingdom or it's the nature of an escape, you know, movie or rescue mission movie, what tends to be the whole focus? 
I'm asking live. <laughs> <laughs> Wake up. <laughs> I'd say the end result, right? The, yeah. the outcome. What yeah. comes next. So what does that do for them for the plot? It drives everything toward that. It's a sort of laser focus, I guess, on hopefully the ideal outcome. Yeah. Like we're just watching Return of the King last night. Mm. So that Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. Perfect for that. Yes. So it's everyone involved is laser focused on, yeah. you know, defending and getting the ring there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a there's a mission. There's like we have to accomplish this task and it gets our priority before anything else mm-hmm. happens, before anything else can be, you know, set right. One of the one of the differences I would argue with uh Return of the King is he's uh, Tolkien's probably going to be more in line with what uh I would like to say today simply because of his um yeah. Catholic uh uh background. Mm-hmm. But um when you have a movie focused on escape or rescue, there is someone who's trapped in a situation that they don't want to be in. And the idea of salvation is to get them out of that situation into the ideal situation or into the idea location. And it's not that, that I think the Bible is, uh, doesn't say any of that, but the question of what exactly are we being rescued from? Where is this all going? Um, what is the existence like afterwards? And I realize I'm just unpacking a whole suitcase of books, basically, and going to streamline some of it into a uh, talk. Um, and I just, I just want to say, I, I, this is how I grew up. But if it's the rescue mission of I'm one of the select few that gets to go away to a ethereal existence, like up in the sky somewhere, mm-hmm. like away from this place, then what's going to happen here? And really my focus then is maybe on getting out. Like that's the, uh, that's what you were saying. The plot drives the person to only focus on getting out. Yeah. And then maybe at best you focus on getting a few other people out with you. And I would just say, what type of life is that? What type of life is that for you, for your short time here, you know, a generation, 70 to 80 years, what type of life is I'm waiting to escape and I might grab a few others with me. That might be Mm -hmm. the extent of the mission. I would argue it's not a very holistic scope of a mission, what about justice? What about real world injustice? Um, what about poverty? What about people without a voice, the marginalized? What about you and your gifts and your creativity and the things that you're supposed to do here? Like, mm-hmm. does none of that matter if it's only about getting out of here? I would say, yeah, mm-hmm. none of it does matter if it's really only about getting out of here. So let's dive in. Oh, this is fun. Um, my kids go to church and when they come home, they tell me things that they learn. (laughs) And so I want to be a parent that encourages them to learn and to, you know, listen to everyone and learn from everyone. But I also want to be a parent that, um, uh, maybe challenges some of the thinking. So this is something they always come home to me and talk about. They're like, yo, we learned about streets of gold today. And so one of my questions back to them is, oh, is streets of gold literal 
Or is it a metaphor for maybe the purest way to describe a type of existence? <laughs> <laughs> and your kids are how old? And right? your seven-year-old says... <laughs> What's the metaphor? <laughs> um, yeah, well, you know my 11-year-old mm-hmm. and yeah. my 13-year-old. And, and then they look at me with eyes and like, oh, maybe that is true. Is it like this... Is it really a literal city with glass walls and streets of gold? Or in the book of Revelation, is John saying, this is the best way I can talk about what life without sin will be. Hmm. Ooh, come yeah. on. Yeah. Come on. Now we're reading. Now we're reading the Bible good. <laughs> I don't know what that voice was. Sorry. <laughs> I liked it. And you do for, the rest of and, it like that? <laughs> Maybe. And for others, they that entire concept you know, that right. What we've talked about previously, like removing a brick from the wall, like yeah, streets of gold, like that could be something that allows their wall to crumble. Like, yeah. Like, what are you saying? Yeah. That what I really believe about what the location, where it is and what it's like afterwards might not be what the Bible teaches. I, I don't believe you. I can't handle that. I understand all that. Um, and maybe th- this is, like I said, this is books and books. Mm-hmm. But I just want to deal with uh, one text. I just want to deal with one text. And I would I would argue that this idea of escaping and going to heaven and heaven being something different than existence on the earth after life uh, is not as relatively new to Christian thought. 1830s, 1850s, early 1900s, um, probably catching on momentum after the wars, of it's bad and salvation must be getting out of this bad place. Um, For most of Christian history, heaven was seen as something that was going to be joined to the earth. And just think about it like this. God comes down in Genesis 1. God descends down um, in Exodus. God descends down when they build the temple. God descends down in Jesus. You see this momentum throughout the scriptures that heaven keeps coming down and heaven keeps wanting to invade earth. And I'm using down loosely because there is it's not up there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like a fourth dimension here pressing in on us. But it keeps wanting to be joined and invade what's going on here. And I would argue it is often. We just don't get to see it and know it as much. But the whole point of like, okay, so then why do we often think that the whole story has this notion of God coming to dwell with humanity? Why then at the very end, do we go up and dwell with God? It seems to be really incongruent with the way the whole flow is going. Hmm. It seems to be, in fact, Revelation teaches us that now the dwelling of God is with mankind, that we're here. So what does that mean for us? What does it mean that we're here? Let me read Matthew 24, and I think this will spark some of you guys' uh, memory and conversation about um, what happens. What is, what is the end of the story like? Uh, Matthew 24 is called the eschatological discourse. We are getting a little more theological today, so start of the new year. How does that fit <laughs> for you? We'll allow it. <laughs> We were pretty like heart motive and like, um, yeah, I don't even know what to say uh, (laughs) towards the end of last year. But now I'm going to get into some theology. It's the eschatological discourse, which simply means Jesus talking about um, what happens in the end. Verse 30, Matthew 24. 
Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer's near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill, one will be taken, and the other left. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. I don't know if you've ever heard this passage or read this passage, but Jesus is talking about um, the second judgment, the idea of the first judgment being what the, uh, the flood in Genesis chapter 6, Genesis 6 through 9, which is referenced here. And he's saying that it will happen in a flash. Nobody really knows the time. Now, there's a lot of questions I have in this passage that won't get answered. Um, Jesus doesn't know, but the Father knows. And uh, a generation will certainly not pass away until all of it's happened. There's a lot of questions that uh, I don't know if we have great answers for. But then he says, it's kind of like this. Two people will be in a field, and one will be taken, and the other will be left behind. Two women will be at work, making flour, grain to make flour to make bread. One will be taken, and the other will be left behind. And he says, that's how it's going to be. And I don't, I'm don't. i sure you guys are somewhat familiar with this. There's a whole theology built around this idea of someone is going to get taken away, and someone's going to be left behind. You guys familiar with that at yeah. all? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I've watched the movies. Okay, all of them? <laughs> I have not. <laughs> but <laughs> are all how many are there? I think I don't know. There's two or three, but there are obviously more books. And when you refer to movies, you mean Left Behind series, okay. sorry. Left Behind yeah. series, which is 100% accurate and I believe every bit of it. Yeah. Because Kirk Cameron would never lie to me. Yeah, why didn't they put Candace Cameron in the movie too? Because she's too smart. <laughs> I like how you she, said smart. She she loves her brother, I'm sure, but probably she's going to stick to those Hallmark movies. She didn't want to like trash her career in one <laughs> one movie. But I hope they're not listening. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> but if you are, we have so much love for you guys. Call in. We'd love to talk. <laughs> Kirk and Candy. <laughs> I don't know if anyone calls her that, but if I if she was my friend, I'd definitely oh, not sure. let her off the hook with just Candace. Jeez. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, you should be. Because uh, she's too smart. Kyle, do you know what we're talking about? This Left Behind series? So, yeah, and, I never yeah. Uh, participated in that series. <laughs> <laughs> never got swept I up. Was not an active participant. You never got caught up in the rapture. No, yeah, all that. I <laughs> yeah. just never watched that series. Yeah. So, so. I, I read most of the books, um, really well, really well written. Um, and 
I understand why people would think that way. And I understand where they're coming from. Um, uh, and I've seen, I think there's more than one movie. I've seen the first movie though. Yeah. Like the originals, like I think there are two or three, but then they've remade left behind like the, the first one, I think two more times. Okay. So they didn't get very far. Okay. Yeah. Well, and so the, the notion is though, is that they're the Christians that are on the earth. Um, there will be this event called the rapture, uh, which is not found anywhere in the Bible. The words never mentioned once, uh, but people will locate the idea here in Matthew 24. And then in first Thessalonians, I believe um, that God will take Christians away from this world and then we'll judge the world and, you know, then we'll reign on the world and then we'll fight the devil and, and so on and so on and so on. But the idea also bleeds into, and yet kind of salvation is also escape from the world. Salvation is escape from the earth and God's going to destroy the earth. You know, that's what often people think about judgment is God's going to destroy uh, the earth. You know, he did it with water in the first judgment, you know, do it with fire in the second judgment. So that's the setup of just in short, what often people think about going away and going to heaven or being saved is starts with the rapture. But in the end, it starts also with the destruction of the earth and there's a new heavens, a new earth, maybe something we don't know, like how mm -hmm. this works. But for the most part, people don't quite think past that. It's escape from the world. Mm -hmm. Now, let's look at something really interesting in the text. So, he says that this is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man in 39. Two will be in a field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be working with a handmill, one will be taken and the other left. And the idea is that the, the ones who are saved or chosen are the ones that are taken. And the others left are the ones that you know, aren't followers or whatever, and they'll experience judgment. But look at this. What's the context tell us? At verse 37, it says this, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be the, in the coming of the Son of Man. So the context for this second judgment is the first judgment. So let's go back and think about what were the days of Noah like? And we don't have a lot of time to go into this, but back in the days of Noah, Genesis chapter 6, what you have here is image bearers committing so much violence against other image bearers that it grieves the heart of God. You know, God doesn't feel fear. God doesn't feel anxiety. But God does feel pain because he binds himself to people, mm -hmm. all humanity, and to the earth. And he feels, though, he feels the pain that humans feel. And Nicholas Walterstorff did a, a really great essay on the wounds of God. And he argues from Genesis chapter six, that whenever another image bearer is wounded, God is wounded as well. Hmm. In fact, to wound an image bearer is to wound God himself. And I think we've talked about it maybe on this episode, on this um, podcast before is that God is the weeping God. He's yeah. the weeping God. He's the simultaneously the joyful God. I don't think we can wrap our minds around the complexity of right. God's emotional life. And yet people are always being wounded in the brokenness of the world. So he's always weeping with those who weep and mourning mm -hmm. with those who mourn. 
I just think for me, just a side note, it's just a, it's interesting because sometimes when I picture who God is, he's like this stoic, reserved, calculated, mm-hmm. calm, like just kind of, this is how things are. Nothing really shakes me or moves me. I don't get that from Jesus. I don't get that from the Bible when I read it carefully. Mm-hmm. So do you want to say something? No. So you see this context. So, so some people say, well, like, why did judgment have to come? And I would argue it didn't have to come. Judgment didn't have to come in Genesis 6. Um, people were supposed to bear out the mission from Genesis 1, which is to steward God's kingdom of love and justice and mercy. But people were being so violent it was wounding. It was, they were destroying each other. Mm-hmm. And so God was going to bring judgment on the earth. So what did he do? So, so Noah, as the story goes, and whether you believe it or not right now is not my primary point. Um, I think it happened, but that that's beside the point as well. <clears throat> as the story goes, um, Noah is raised up to be a deliverer and he is raised up to build uh, an ark. And so he builds it and his family gets on and he, you know, preaches a message of repentance. And, you know, the idea is that no one else really believes it or wants to get on. And so God sends these floods and it wipes people away in the judgment, right? So two thoughts, two thoughts here. Um, who, who stayed and who went? And then the other thought is how did, did God destroy the earth in the first judgment? And what does that mean for the second judgment? So two thoughts. So the first one is this, um, what happened in the days of Noah? Who got taken away? It's the opposite of what I, I, in a sense, you kind of blow my mind because I'm just thinking, yeah, it's, if I go back and look, it's, the chosen one that's left. Yeah. The others are taken. Yeah. Yeah. So the ones who remained on the earth were considered righteous in Genesis six. They had restrained themselves from this violence and hatred and all this systemic oppression and evil. And the ones who were taken away were the ones who incurred the judgment. Mm -hmm. And so when, Jesus says, uh, you know, it's going to be as in the days of Noah like that. And then one's taken and one's left behind the left behind one. If we're reading it in light of Genesis six through nine, the one who is left behind on the earth is actually the one who has not incurred the judgment of God, Mm -hmm. who in some way, you know, has received God's favor and they're left behind. But the judgment comes and takes away, you know, the other. So that's the first question. What does it mean? Who got taken away and who got left behind? Jake, have you heard this before? Mm-hmm. Okay. Who got taken away? Who got left behind? And then what does that mean for the second judgment? Let me ask you, ask you this way. How did God judge the world through the flood? The earth. That's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He, he, let me put it this way. Is it the same earth? Yeah. I'm not answering because 
this can go a lot of ways. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I would, I would argue that the judgment of Genesis six was a radical cleansing of the earth. Mm-hmm. And it's tied back into Genesis one and two, that humanity was tied to the ground and as humans go, so go the ground or the world. And if humans are simply committing violence and oppression, um, then then how is that affecting the earth and the ground? And it's a radical cleansing of evil, but it's the same earth, mm-hmm. it's the same land. And so when we read the second judgment, if we think God's going to bring some type of judgment by fire, what if it's less destruction and more purification of which if you're a Christian, you will be a part of that as well being purified because we're still filled with sin and brokenness and darkness. And what if it's less about destruction because often the Bible uses the symbol of fire for purity. Mm -hmm. And what if it's more about purifying us and purifying the earth for to put things right back mm-hmm. again. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I I love nature metaphors and that kind of stuff. But I mean, I I think a lot of times we look at fire as destructive because it's maybe you know a wildfire or whatever, and it's pushing people out out of their homes or something like that. But yeah. from a purely nature standpoint, a wildfire is super enriching Mm. how so for the area that it actually consumes um well everything burns up and turns to ash and it enriches the soil Mm -hmm. and stuff you know trees and bushes and wildlife they all eventually re-enter and it grows back more lush and vibrant Mm. than before Mm -hmm. so volcanoes erupting and being super destructive and, you know, violent appearing also has, you know, the aftermath is this beauty and life and mm-hmm. resurgence and newness. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love that. I love that. The, the picture of purification in the forest and wildfire or an intentional fire to clean up the brush and the ground to give oxygen more room to get into the soil, all of those things that will actually promote health and growth. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we talk about in the in the spiritual life of, um, you know, being tested. You know, you're getting tested, and it's not like do you know enough info to pass the test. It's more so there's some type of fire or suffering in your life. We don't really use the terminology much anymore, um, but it, it used to be that we would talk about this trial that we'd be experiencing as a purification of me mm-hmm. and a fire that was burning away stuff in my life that, man, I didn't even know really didn't need to be there. Is getting in my way, getting in the way of growth. And then it felt like you were being just burned completely away, you know, or pressed down to being completely crushed. And then, Two months later, six months later, two years later, you realize that so much growth had happened underground Mm -hmm. and you didn't even know it. And it probably wasn't even up to you, you know, and you didn't (laughs) make it happen. It just did. And 
yeah, I think about that for some people of like, let the fire run its course. Mm-hmm. Let the, let the pressing and the crushing and the hurting and the pain, like let it run its course. Don't try to escape it or manage it or fix it or whatever, because I wonder if there's a deeper purpose for it than we really can even see. And often in my own life, there's, that happens. And I, and I'll be honest with you guys, I'll throw a fit when I feel like this is going on in my life. And then I realize afterwards, oh, that was there was so many, so much deeper wisdom mm-hmm. at work yeah. below the surface that I couldn't even name and it just needed to run its course. And I think we get in this really dangerous trap of thinking that we have to name our own growth and transformation for it to actually be measured and happening. And I've often found that I can't really name it. Yeah, I've often found that I don't really know how I'm growing or where I am. I know that I'm trying to be aware of it. I'm trying to cooperate with what I think God is doing, but I can't really measure that or put a name on it. If it is, if you can, is it really growth or is it just Mm -hmm. like you jumping through hoops? Right. I don't know. I just went on uh, several monologue tangents (laughs) there, but (laughs) any thoughts from you, from you too? Well, I think you can't measure it. If growth were a well-defined path, you could measure it. So like if I can, reflect and if I have some sense of awareness and can see maybe where I've been the last few years. Yeah, I could measure it if it was like one or two things that contributed to growth, but growth is, there's so many opportunities for growth and so many things that can influence your growth if you allow them to, that it's like, well, I can't, I could name a few of them maybe, Yeah, but I'm not sure exactly, I'm just trying to lean into it. I'm not sure exactly how all these things factored into me growing over the last few years, you know? Yeah. And, and I think taking like our personal lives and trials and, um, what you guys have referenced, but then also tying what I think is a very literal probably metaphor for how we handle nature. Like when wildfires start, um, there's always a investigation as to the cause what caused it. And now we're going to take control and we're going to help put it out. So we need, you know, firefighters and helicopters and we're trying to put this thing out. Um, but I don't know if we're always floods, any type of right natural disaster. We're looking for a way to prevent and protect. And I think it's the exact same in our lives. Like we grow up with this mentality of like, if harm is, if you feel like harm is near or something is difficult or not how it should be, we have, you know, these emergency systems inside of us to help contain or prevent or put out so that it doesn't maybe completely wipe us out but what really needs to happen is we need to be wiped out yeah so that we can start new yeah in whatever situation or whatever it may be but maybe we it's just something it's like no it it's time for it to start over like if we weren't there to put out the wildfires they would eventually stop at some point well, and, and, 
you know, obviously I want to be sensitive to the reality of this with Australia and California. And obviously those are terrible things and we don't, you know, obviously we're not promoting human life, loss of life and destruction, all that stuff. But it's the metaphor to bring into the life of growth that I link it to James that says, basically don't short circuit the work that you think is destructive because it might be more helpful than harm. You know, it's like, don't like, let the trial run its course, let it run its course, like let it do its thing. It's like a virus. Like just, it has to run its course. Just get out of the way. Don't freak Mm -hmm. out about it and let it do its thing. And you'll realize there may be health that you didn't even see coming and you didn't even know you need it on the other side. Right. And so, you know, if, uh, I think, well, I'm going to tie this back in, in just a second to back to where we started with heaven as escape. And what happens if we're here and not escaping? Did you have something to share though? Yeah. I just think we're, I guess I'll just speak for me personally. I'm so, I think, scared of the uncomfortable and the painful and suffering that it's easy just to live out of self-preservation and not even think about, oh, I should sit in this. And, you know, I, I did the episode so people know if they've listened, I lost family members in 2017 and that's like my fire and I, I have my little notebook with me and it, kind of what we're talking about reminded me of a Jordan Peterson quote and he says um, the purpose of life is to find a mode of being that is so meaningful that the fact that life is suffering is no longer relevant or maybe that it's even acceptable and that's such a different Could you read that read that again please? <clears throat> yeah he says the purpose of life is to find a mode of being that is so meaningful that the fact that life is suffering is no longer relevant or maybe that it's even acceptable. And in that, I just see that suffering is miserable, but it can also be a gift. It can be the impetus for growth. If you're open, that's where I feel like that's been a shift for me is just being open to, yeah, it's painful, but if I can be open to the suffering and the pain and I've grieved a whole lot, then there's opportunity there. I really love that. I feel like you do a show on that quote and just the concept, but I think it's true when you live long enough, you realize life feels like suffering. So now what are you going to do with it? Mm -hmm. And for most of us in the West, I would argue we try to get really crafty at managing it or escaping it. Mm -hmm. And what I hear him say is, no, you can't really do that. Yeah. But you, so you have to accept what it is Mm -hmm. and the pain that's there and the tragedy of a, you know, it's not only suffering, it's a beauty, there's glory, but there Mm -hmm. is, it's East of Eden. Um, but you have to find your life or, you know, as we talked about on the show before, your voice, your creativity, your avenue, your sweet spot, whatever it is, your mode of being, as he says, that it almost makes that irrelevant. Like, yeah. of course, okay, life's pain. I, you know what? I don't even necessarily need to have that conversation because I'm engaged in such a way that both of my feet are planted here and I have something to do. So mm-hmm. let me tie this back in. This feels like a good segue back to let's talk about the human and we'll go back and find the divine. We started with the divine. We started with the text and we found the human. And now we're going to start with the human and go back to the divine. Mm-hmm. If that is the path of growth is not escaping suffering and not escaping 
pain, but letting those things run its course. Why then would we have a view of the transition into the afterlife that just seems so counter? Because for many who think about what God's going to do in heaven and how he's going to do it, he's going to take people away so that they don't have to experience pain and suffering, you know, with what people would call the mm-hmm. tribulation that um, they, why would he do that to the church? Why would he do that to people? And then it's going to be away from an earth that he tied us to, and then he binds himself to, and he seems to have a great investment in wanting to do something with it through us. And part of that for us is exactly what we're talking about, is it's not an escapism mentality. I would argue that the one feeds and breeds the other. And if I think life's about escaping right now, then why wouldn't I think that salvation is about escaping? But rather, if life is more, how do I not escape but engage Mm -hmm. and embrace all that this world is and all that I am in it and all that it has for me, then how... What difference would that make? That's what I think is some of the greatest implications of this is, okay, if I'm, if like in the future, if you're going to be left behind, so to speak, what does that mean for you right now? Like you have something to do. Mm -hmm. You have something to do that's actually going to come through the other side because it's the same earth cleansed. You see, it's the same land, same soil from Genesis 6 to now, I would argue, that probably should interpret or uh, at least bear how we interpret what's going to happen. It's going to be the same soil. It's going to be cleansing. And if we have something to do then, then we have something to do now. There's work to be done. Mm -hmm. There's injustice to fight. You know, there's, there's systemic oppression to stand up against. There are things to change. There are things to bear witness to. There's beauty to bear witness to. There's beauty to create. There are things to be done here that I would argue will have continuity then. So why don't we do something? What are we waiting for? What are you waiting for? What gets in the way of that? How can you say oh, my work won't just go away. If that's the if that's the case, then yeah, we're on a true escape mission. Let's yeah. just worry about getting out of here and grabbing a few others. But if there's going to be some sort of similarity of the work you do, whatever that work is, and engagement that you have to do, then yeah, get after it. Because it's going to last somehow. You don't agree with me. There's this beautiful, not you two. Uh, Of course you guys agree with me. (laughs) But it would be kind of funny on the show if you're like, actually, I don't agree with anything you just said. I'll disagree when we turn the microphones off. There's this beautiful, like two, you know, two line passage in Revelation. And uh, and I'll probably close with this. Of that in the end, there will be nations bringing their glories through the gates to lay and give to the king. And I read that and I think, oh, that's, it's the continuity of the beauty that humanity has created here and the lasting things that may be time destroyed, 
but will be rebuilt and it's going to exist for everyone's enjoyment and for the delight and glory of the king. And I think there's more continuity between now and then than discontinuity. And it's more about how we love and steward our stories and the earth and our time, our season, what we've been given than about, I just, it's got to get, we got to get out of here. So how do we not have an escapist mentality in anything? Right. This is a discard culture. Mm-hmm. This is a cancel culture. This is an escape. Well, I need to be in control of everything. This makes me uncomfortable or your voice makes me uncomfortable or this relationship makes me uncomfortable. So I'll just cancel it. How do we not have an escapist mentality, but have one that says, I no, I'm going to remain because that's where the whole story is going anyways, is that I believe I'd like to remain and do something, mm-hmm. uh, for good. Any closing thoughts? No, that's good. Yeah. (laughs) I think those are just good words to, to sit on. Yeah. All right. Well, we're back. We're back ish. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Ish. Ish. Jacob's been here. Kyle's there getting there. He's, I feel like he's there. Yeah. Um, it's going to take me a little while. Hey, we're, we're happy to, we're happy you're listening. We're happy to venture on this year with you and, uh, whatever it may bring. Uh, if you, if you were at the magazine party, thanks so much for coming. We still have some magazines available. Uh, you can hit us up and we'll get that to you. Um, also if you were at the Enneagram conference that we did or any of the drop-ins that are happening, uh, on Tuesday nights, then shout out to you. Good to have you on this journey. Much thanks to all you listeners. Thanks to Kyle and Jacob for being here, being present, and doing work, which is the most important. So thank you, guys. All right. Till next time, grace and peace, friends. Thanks for listening to The Subversive. Be sure to hit subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.